Hey, what's up guys, Travis here. And if you've been following me or my story for any length of time, you know that I started a company called Guestio about a year and a half ago now. And one of the things that we are doing this year in 2022 is we're building a concierge program called the Fast Pass that allows you to get booked on top quality shows and platforms for the purpose of spreading awareness for your brand, grabbing attention, uh, growing your credibility, your authority, et cetera, et cetera. And so if you are listening to this right now and you are a seven figure plus entrepreneur and you have a budget to bring in traffic, attention, credibility, authority to your brand, then this might be a really great program for you. Just head over to travischapel.com slash 10K. Why 10K? Because we guarantee in this program that you're going to be able to speak in front of 10,000 people within 90 days. Okay, 10,000 people within 90 days. Imagine getting on a stage in front of 10,000 people to share your message, your story. That's exactly what we are doing inside of this program through virtual stages like podcasts or virtual events or YouTube channels or blogs. You name it, we are working with it, and we are trying to get you booked on those platforms. So travischapel.com slash 10x. There's a quick application there, and then right at the end of that application, it'll prompt you to set up a phone call where you'll jump on a call with me, and we'll talk through whether or not you're a great fit for this program. Please act fast on this. Do not wait because we are only taking on one or two clients a week due to uh, constraints with our team and the limited supply of high quality shows and platforms that are out there in the market. So if that's you and you're really wanting to explode your brand in 2022, head over to travischapel.com slash 10K, fill out the application, schedule a quick phone call, and you and I will chat really soon about whether or not this would be a great fit for you. Thanks, guys. Talk to you soon. Hey, this is Ross Paquette, founder and chairman of Meropost. If you want to learn how to successfully build your relationships, you should be listening to Build Your Network podcast with my good friend, Travis Chapel. Welcome to the show. I'm Travis Chapel, and I chat with some of the world's top business influencers, thought leaders, and entrepreneurs in order to crack the code of networking. I believe that who you know is more important than what you know, and that your relationships ultimately determine the person that you become. So if you want to learn the new way of connecting, if you want to fill your network with quality people and skyrocket your results, then you're in the right place because this is the Build Your Network Podcast. Hey, what's going on, everybody? Welcome back to another episode of Build Your Network. Today, I'm sitting down with Ross Andrew Paquette. Ross is the chairman and CEO of Maripost, North America's fastest growing marketing automation and e-commerce provider, as well as Maripost Cares, his nonprofit arm, which focuses on corporate stewardship toward the protection, conservation, and education of global environmental issues. It's going to be an amazing conversation. Some of the best email marketers that I know are on Maripost, and Ross is the mastermind behind that software. So I'm excited to dig into a few things with him. But first, really quickly, if you are a six or seven figure entrepreneur and you know how beneficial a podcast would be for your business, you know how much credibility, authority it could drive for you, the relationships, the know, like, and trust that it can build with you and your ideal clients, but you just don't have the time or the team or resources to dedicate to figure out how to get it out into the world, then have me and my team build that for you. Head over to travischapel.com slash make my podcast. There's a quick application there. We'll jump on a phone call to see if we'd be a good fit to build out a show for you. So you can focus on what you're good at, which is running your company, servicing your clients. We can focus on what we're good at, which is building world-class podcasts. That's travischapel.com slash make my podcast. Ross, what's up, man? Thanks so much for joining me today. Yeah. Thanks for having me. Really appreciate it. Yes, sir. All the way from Spain too. And the island yeah. of Ibiza, <laughs> no less. Yeah. So I probably shouldn't have led with that. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I was going to say that's uh, good on you for taking time away from time in Ibiza to jump on a, a podcast interview. So, uh, but, uh, 
Yeah, I really appreciate you coming on, man. I, I want to take things all the way back. This is how we always start out the show, build a lot of context for those listening. Talk to me about 12, 13-year-old Ross. What was life like for you? Like I'm talking, you know, family life, parents, what were they up yeah. to? And, you know, school, did you like it? Did you not like it? Sports, all activities, what were you up to when you were, you know, 12, 13 years old? Yeah, for sure. So I, I've got a bit of an interesting past. I'm actually, I, I'm adopted or been adopted since the day I was born. I'm from a really, really small town in Northern Ontario. So in Canada, about 40,000 people mining and forestry town, not a lot of technology coming out of there, not a lot of podcasts coming out of there, not frankly, quite much coming out of there, sort of uh, <laughs> Shania Twain, if you're familiar with her. Oh, okay. Nice. Yeah. I played a lot of sports when I was a kid, actually. I skied for the Ontario ski team. Uh, I played soccer competitively for Ontario. I rode, actually came third in Canada on, on that front, which was really interesting in my later years. Oh, wow. Uh, Dad's a dentist, so he's still practicing, funny enough. Actually, I think now he's going to retire because of coronavirus, so somewhat oh, no, a, a positive outcome on that front. Yeah, dentists, unfortunately, have like to wear the whole get-up for every patient. So some benefits on that front, I guess you could say. Really kind of interesting upbringing, just a lot of, again, outdoor time. I, funny enough, didn't have a computer until I was 18 years old, which is kind of ironic given the, the tech company I run today. But yeah, really kind of interesting childhood and had such a great time. I, I look forward to someday having kids who, who can have something similar versus the, the iPads, iPhones and everything we're we're dealing with today. Yeah, no kidding. So you very big into sports, playing for the yeah. the, the Ontario actual national teams. Is that what did I hear no, that correctly? So Canada's national team for skiing, and then Ontario was soccer or football, okay. depending on where you're from. Okay, so talk to me like top two or three lessons that you've taken away. Because I mean, you're competing in sports at a very high level at that point, and not a lot of people get to those types of levels. Yeah. And so curious to hear maybe top couple lessons that you took away being so young at such a yeah. high level of competitiveness. Yeah, for sure. I mean, hard work has always been a key component. I certainly think I gained that from my father, you know, as a dentist, he was working 10 to 12 hour days, not because he had to, I think he frankly just enjoyed it. I mean, that, that's always been ingrained in sort of my philosophy, whether that was athletic related or business related, it, it's been a core to the backbone of the company as well. You know, that definitely comes from, from a key aspect. I mean, I, I certainly also believe that, you know, having your own principles and, and well, you know, athletics doesn't always relate to that, certainly not at a young age, you know, sort of believing in yourself, believing in your team, depending on the sport that you're playing, I think always really came to mind is, is sticking to sort of the beliefs and principles you had. And that really allows you to excel or strive forward in a lot of these competitive landscapes, again, whether they be athletic or, or business centric. I carry a lot of those same I wouldn't say the same philosophies I had when I was 13 by any means, but just sort of a, you know, a very similar view to what I had back then around the, the focus and dedication that it really takes to, again, to both uh, excel in the athletic community and, and on the business front. Did you take any of this stuff into college after high school? No. So I'm not much of a scholar, oddly enough. I, I realized in my first uh, year in university or first or maybe second year, it wasn't really for me. So I, I went to Ottawa or University of Ottawa up in Canada. I never actually finished though. I started working probably about halfway through. So I've got, you know, probably got about two years worth of courses over about a five-year period. So kind of a, a great degree and the random assortment of psychology, philosophy, criminology, um, <laughs> sort of picked pick and choose yeah. everything. The candy but, shop uh, college experience, yeah. Yeah, 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 exactly. So I, I really stopped though from a, an athletic perspective. It is much different, obviously, of course, when you, when you head off to university. So nothing at, really after that. Frankly, I hadn't skied in about four years up until uh, six months ago when I went on a actually a SAS CEO trip, ski trip. Oh, no way. Nice. Yeah. 
That's funny, man. Okay. So how do you end up in tech then? So you're obviously, you grew up in a small town doing a bunch of outdoor type stuff. You go to college and it's not really your thing. And it takes you five years to complete a couple years of courses. How does that beginning of the story end up where you are now? Yeah, for sure. While I was in university, as I said, I started to work and I had a number of sort of random jobs. My core one, I was was actually working for UPS in an administrative job. And one of the unique things about UPS or probably most shipping companies is the organizations are built on overtime, as in they don't really have anyone working. Obviously, I'm not driving a truck or loading packages, but it's it's really no different in terms of their philosophy. So they will let people work, you know, 12, 13, 15 hours a day, realistically. And so while I was working there, I was also working at a hotel in, in Ottawa, and I was working at a nightclub as well. So some days were, you know, 20 plus hour days from wow. a work perspective. And so I did that actually probably for about two and a half years and consistently and, and seven days a week, more or less, because I was working at the hotel and the bar on the weekend. And so fast forward kind of yeah, two and a half years after, I was like, this is too much, like too many hours a day. I was going to just burn out from the sheer workload. Sure. And I was like, you know what, I'm going to quit all or not quit, but leave all these positions and, and go travel for a while and really just kind of enjoy everything I'd spent the last two years not doing. So funny enough, a week after that, right after I had left all these, these roles, my parents actually called me and their godson had taken on a V of sales job at a tech company in Ottawa. Ottawa at the time, I haven't actually looked into it recently, but was doing quite well. Of course, Shopify is out of Ottawa, just by way of example. So went to work there within two months or so, very quickly went from, you know, kind of a cold calling junior sales rep to closing my own business. And then within about 12 months was the director of sales. Oh, wow. Uh, So really kind of a, a quick rise from that perspective. And so within probably another year and a half or two, I was like, you know, why don't I start up my own business, have 10 customers, you know, have a nice lifestyle business. I was living in Toronto at this point, which is a, a much larger city. And we just kept selling and developing the the platform. And so I think that I'd say a good 12 or 14 months before I stopped fully working for other companies and Maripost just really started to take off. So we went from about 300,000 in revenue to about 20 million in, in about 28 months. So pretty, uh, pretty quick rise. This episode of the show is brought to you by Indeed. We are driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate is not to search at all. It's to match and match with Indeed. If you need to hire, you need this platform, guys. I'm telling you, Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work and use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging candidates so you can connect with those people even faster. And it doesn't just help you hire faster. In fact, 93% of employers agree that Indeed delivers the highest quality matches compared to other job sites, according to a recent Indeed survey. And look, guys, one of the things that I wish I would have used Indeed for is this matching service. You can search and search and search and search and search all day long, but to actually be presented with quality candidates like 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 hiring a a recruiter for you that's presenting people that has actually done the work to vet them and uh, bring quality people in front of you that work by itself is uh, the fact that it's done by a software instead of like a team of high quality recruiters is is pretty insane so they leverage over 140 million qualifications and preferences every single day which is why indeed's matching engine is the best one that you can use. It's constantly learning from your own preferences. So the more you use it, the better it gets at doing the job for you. Join more than three and a half million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire talent 
fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility over at indeed.com slash Travis. Just go to indeed.com slash Travis right now and support this show by saying you heard about Indeed here on the podcast. Indeed.com slash Travis. Terms and conditions apply. If you need to hire, you need Indeed. Okay. So back to the sales part, man, because a lot of times, a lot of times when I chat with people, they kind of mention something and they just say it like it, you know, all laissez faire. And I, I kind of want to kind of go back in and hammer in on this a little bit more. You said, I mean, to go from junior sales rep making cold calls within 12 months to be director of sales is a meteoric type of a rise within a culture like that when it's very competitive sales environment. What do you attribute your sales acumen to? Was it fairly natural? Did you have any reason why you felt that you were doing better? Did you work on it? Did you take trainings? Like, was it their training? What, What do you think it was? A lot of it goes back to that original point. It was a lot of the work ethic side of things. So the same sort of skill set that I think I had at a, at a young age that definitely was developed when I was allowed to work 20 hours a day as an example, really just, you know, powered that forward. So when I was working at this company, don't think I was the best sales rep, definitely don't think I was, you know, the, the top kind of from an admin perspective, but I would work 12 hours a day, right? Because that was somewhat familiar to me. So when everybody and, you know, Ottawa, Canada is somewhat maybe like a Washington, it's a very government city, nine to five. I would stay at the office until eight o'clock, take all the east or central mountain and west coast leads. Mm. And so everybody would come in in the morning, there'd be nothing left. I'd be like, yeah, I closed all of them. And I would just sit on the phone and just, you know, constant dialing. Back then, I mean, of course, we were, I was selling a, you know, kind of a 50, 100, $150 product, more like a MailChimp style product. But okay. again, it was exciting. I was doing like 150 new, you know, kind of deals a month, which was a but, but it was an interesting the, way to grow. But it was the same type of industry or same type yeah. of product? Okay. Yeah. Coincidentally, that company is still still around. It's owned by a much larger organization, but yeah. That's one of the things, man, that a lot of people don't talk about. Was so my background, I come from a door-to-door sales background. So I did like seven mm-hmm. years of door-to-door sales and training and management recruiting and all that kind of stuff. And one of the things that people don't talk about is that you can be successful in sales, even if you're not the most talented salesperson, mm-hmm. because of exactly what you just said. Mm-hmm. It's at some point, it's just a numbers game. And yeah. if you're dialing more than the next guy, then you can mm-hmm. make just as much or more money as the next guy, even if that guy's closing rate is significantly higher than your closing rate, because you're just getting more people through the front door. Just more volume. That's one of the cool things about sales to me that I feel like people don't really touch on a lot is like, if you can just deal with the rejection and you can, you can get in the workflow of talking to a bunch Mm -hmm. of people, then you can make good money just being a salesperson somewhere. So you saw the potential, obviously, right? Like you, you Mm -hmm. kind of pierced the veil there. You saw past something during that year that initially made you be like, Hey, you know what, what if I just did my own thing? Why do you think after seeing a good amount of success that you left that success to start something that was totally up in the air and maybe you're maybe not going to be successful? Yeah, being in the in the space and being so close to a lot of the customers and being quite in depth or adept on the product side of things really made me see sort of how the the support side of things was. And there was just an extreme lack of support. So, you know, at the time, customers I was dealing with were spending, you know, two, three, four, five thousand dollars a month, much like they do today at Maripost, but they weren't getting any semblance of a partnership or a relationship or just frankly, again, the support that they should get for those types of dollars. And so when, when Maripost was founded, the basis was that we were going to provide, you know, 24-7 support, even if it was Ross in the background pulling the levers and answering the chats and doing all this stuff on its own, which that was a long time where that happened. I think about two or three years of that, you know, it was built on that, that sort of philosophy of just a strong relationship and partnership. And as I said, 
the goal was only to have 10 clients in that early stage. So, you know, it's not that hard to one, get 10 clients. I'm not going to say it's easy, but it's not that hard. But, you know, when you start to build upon that philosophy that I mentioned, they're never going to leave. We still have our first client that we ever signed. We've mm-hmm. obviously lost some clients, you know, over time, but um, we still have that very first client that came on board. Yeah, right. So, exciting. Yeah. so I'm curious. 10 to- years ago. <laughs> yeah, that's crazy to have that person still there as a member. I mean, that, yeah. that speaks to speaks to how much you delivered on yeah. that promise of making sure that everything was taken care of for them. So SaaS talk here, how long did it take to develop the first version of your product? I'd say the first version was probably a, a year. And again, I was working still at another company and funding the development okay. of Maripost. And so, so you're self-funding, I, you're, you're basically making commissions, yeah. selling products, and then taking yeah, for, those commissions and building your own product. Yeah, exactly. That's actually exactly what it was. And so I I had originally started working with an individual that I'd worked with in the past and things didn't work out well with him. And I was like, you know what, I'm just going to go back to work and let's just forget about Maripost or or whatever Maripost was back then. And oddly enough, my parents actually came to me and said, hey, why don't you look online? Our product is built in Ruby on Rails, which is not even today. It's not super common in terms of a coding language. So I went on to Odesk, which is now Upwork. And the first person I talked to is our current CTO. And he's been my partner, uh, you know, in in crime ever since. And he, he rebuilt the entire platform probably like three or four weeks. And then we had something that is still the backbone of what, you know, what we have today. He rebuilt the entire platform in three yeah. to four weeks? Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Oh yeah. my Not the goodness. platform we have today, obviously, but yeah. Really sure, yeah. Very special. Yeah. Wow, that is crazy. And that's the first yeah. contact you reached out on Upwork? First person. Yeah, yeah. I don't wow. think that happens ever. Yeah, <laughs> stroke of luck right there, man. But that's so yeah. awesome to find somebody that's that valuable to the team like that. So at what point... After jumping into Maripost, because now, right, you have version one, you start getting some customers onto the platform. Now, the thing that you've been dumping money into for the last year is actually starting to pay you a little bit of money, which has to feel amazing. But at what point were you like, oh, shit, this is real? Like, we have something. Yeah, I think it was 2013 or 2014. I'd have to go back and look. But we went from 300,000 in revenue to 3.3 million. And we only had, I think, four people in the company. It was me and then three three developers in, in India. I've heard to mention that the gentleman I met, he was in India. So we actually didn't meet for three years, like in person. I never went to India until I think three years later. That would have been the year. And then, you know, after that year to the next, when we went from 3.3 to 13.3 and then to 20, you know, just in that process, in that initial process, it was like, this is clearly, you know, going to continue to scale and, and grow. And the customer base is obviously very strong. We were signing amazing customers, many again that we we have today, Mercedes, uh, Golden State Warriors, New York Post, New York Times, um, the list kind of goes on. So it's been a very strong, I guess you could say, process. Yeah, I don't know how much you feel comfortable sharing on here, but can you talk to me about the sales process that you guys were using to be able to yeah. like get in touch with clients like that and actually convince them that your platform sure. was worth switching to? I mean, switching from what you already have to yeah. another platform is a royal pain in the ass. Yeah. And anybody can attest to that who's done it. So you had to have had yeah. some sort of value proposition to be able to get clients like that who have huge mm. lists of customers to be mm. able to be like, all right, let's go ahead and let's go ahead and try out this Maripost thing. So a good percentage or actually a massive percentage of our, I wouldn't say inbound, but of our, our leads or prospective customers were all from referral or, or word of mouth. So we weren't doing any marketing or anything like that. We were just doing apparently a pretty good job and people felt the need to, you know, divert their friends or colleagues or 
or industry individuals o- over to Maripost. So that was a, a huge part of it. I think it was around 80% of all of our customers were coming in through word of mouth. But really? in terms wow. of sales process, yeah, we've always taken the approach of, of more on the show and show and tell. And when I say show and tell, I mean more of the show side of things is in we would approach it from the perspective of, you know, this is our product, like walk them through everything we have and sort of, you know, tell the story, but less like we never use PowerPoints. We still don't use that today. There's none of this like overall vision. Like here's what you could have someday. It's like, we were looking at it from, this is what we have. And if that's interesting or exciting to you, you know, let's move forward. And a good 60 or 70% of the deals we did close were closing after like one, two, maximum three calls. Obviously not the, you know, the large enterprise players, but people were still moving very quickly. I remember actually using Golden State as an example. Uh, they signed up with two weeks left on their contract with Salesforce, wow. right? Which is a huge implementation. And we thankfully or somehow made it, made it all happen. But that was really what people were buying into was like what they were seeing in in the actual product and believing that myself or or the team that was showing them were really standing behind, you know, what we were pitching, not just, you know, again, the show and tell approach of, Hey, these are all the magical things you can do. And then the reality is vastly different after the fact. You guys clearly solved a problem in the marketplace that some of these other giant, giant companies weren't solving. Do you remember specifically attacking any sort of like weaknesses that some of those other companies had? A lot of it was what I just mentioned, you know, the implementation times, the cost. I don't mean the cost of the platform because Maripost isn't, is definitely not cheap. Actually, it's probably even more expensive in some cases than, than the larger ones. But where, where the issues come along is just the time to value. Right. People couldn't see at an Oracle or a Salesforce who've all bought, you know, ESPs over the years for in some cases billions of dollars. They mm-hmm. couldn't see the value quick enough. Right. So it'd be like yourself. If you signed up for from Aeropost and you didn't see any value for six to twelve months, you'd probably be like, Okay, we need we clearly need to you know, rethink our, our strategy here, or what our process was. And I think that's been sort of the key to a lot of our success. People see the value very quickly, they sign up very quickly, and then we, you know, fulfill on that promise or on that, that vision. Sure. So I'm curious to know now, are you like fully taking on the identity of like, I'm a SaaS founder at this point? Like, is are you fully embraced in this world? Like, are you fully immersed in the tech world? Because I know at the beginning really. you said, I was going to say, it doesn't seem like you are, because I feel like at the beginning yeah. you're talking about your kids growing up similar to the way that you did, uh, which is something that I yeah. very much resonate with. So I was just curious on how you felt yeah. like looking at yourself from this perspective. So I would say, that the bulk of all the networking I've done in my entire career has happened in the last 12 to 18 months. Really? So I've been in SaaS for 12 years, give or take. And yeah, it's been 12 to 18 months. The first kind of, it's called SaaS events that I've gone to, the first kind of networking I've done into the SaaS space has all happened in that time, which wow. is kind of funny when you think about it. But I, you know, I, I think we've taken the approach as well as a business, or I, I've certainly taken the approach of you know, until you start running into roadblocks or, or failures, and everybody has failures w- without a doubt or mis- making mistakes, that I was just going to kind of follow the path that I was going on. So I've never been a big reader. I, I'm not proud of that by any means, but I've never been a big reader. I've never been a big networker. I've never, you know, spent too much time. I've really kind of stuck to the path that I was on until I hit such roadblocks that felt it necessary to, you know, to mm. expand sort of that. To seek out somebody. Uh, It's interesting though now as I've, you know, again, spoken to some of my colleagues in the SaaS space in a more business-centric way or gone to some events, 
some of the things that I've, I've learned in these cases, I'm like, wow, that really would have been helpful seven years ago when I was, you know, <laughs> arguing with a vendor over, over cost base or servers or whatever it was. Yeah. It's funny though. And I guess it's kind of part of the journey at the same time. I got to ask you this question then, Ross. This is the one I ask every question or every guest yeah. that's come on the show. Do you believe that who you know or what you know is more important? And why do you believe that? It's a great question. I would say I would center more on the what you know in that it going back to the point I was just making, you know, and that I, I think people can get a lot further down the line than they believe, right? Mm-hmm. We all tend to, you know, latch onto our friends, family, depending on the time and the situation, friends, family, colleagues, you know, partners, and so on and so forth. I tend to come from that background, but I'm of course a strong believer now in, you know, in the approach of, of who you know as it pertains to how that will help you sort of, you know, not just craft who you are. But I do believe that there's a fair amount to be said around, you know, the people that you spend time with. I can't remember the exact saying, but something like, you know, the five people you spend your time with really are who you are at yeah, the same time. Yeah, and you're I think the average a lot of be, the five people, yeah. Yeah. So I, I think there's a lot to be said for that at the same time, because I do believe that the faster, you know, again, had I spent the last 10 years, you know, spending more time in the SaaS community, I'd probably be a lot closer to some of my my friends now or colleagues, so to speak, or peers that um, would be very help- beneficial during that journey. But everybody's journey is different. And sure. I think that the one, you know, that the one I've gone down, I certainly don't have any regrets about it by any means. Yeah, sure. That, and that's yeah. why I love that question so much, man, because it leaves it open-ended and allows for people to come in and be like, well, for me, it was who, and for me, it was what, you know, if, and for me, it, it is who, but for you, it was what, and you're not, you're not even saying that it was a bad thing, that that's how you did it. No. You're just saying that like, that's the path that I went down and it happened to work out pretty well. Yeah, and, uh, exactly. yeah. So listen, man, I love to keep talking. We got uh, just a few minutes here left. So I want to move on to the last segment here. So I'm going like to call the random round, just a few quick, random questions, quick, random answers. Ready? Sure. What profession other than your own, do you think that it would be fun to attempt? Taxi driver, or Uber <laughs> that's, driver. That's a good answer. Sorry. That's a good answer. If you could sit on a park bench with someone past or present and chat for an hour, who would it be? Charlie Munger. How do you like to consume content? Books, audiobooks, blogs, podcasts, videos? To be honest with you, as I mentioned, I'm not a big reader, so I don't consume a lot of content. The content I probably do consume isn't anything to brag about being uh, <laughs> news sites and social media. I, I, I have picked up reading more, so I would say that I would say books would be the ideal. Give us a glimpse of your morning routine. My morning routine is actually quite funny. So I'm actually a late riser. I go to bed quite late. I tend to be most creative in the you know midnight till 2 a.m. type period. So I, I wake up at around 9. So my uh, 9, 9.30, I guess you could say. So my morning is not a routine. It's more of a crawl out of bed, make it to the computer, and just start the day all over again, much to my uh, my partner's dismay. <laughs> yeah. Love it. What is your go-to pump-up song? Oh, good question. I'm going to need to come back to that. All right. All right. Well, I'll, I'll I would default ruminate. to like ACDC if I'm thinking of, of pump up. But I'm That's also not a bad default was, though. Yeah. That's yeah, not a bad default. Yeah. I, I can't say I've listened to it in probably 15 years though. So I'm thinking about the time where I last had a pump up song and that's what it was. There you go. There you go. What is something besides business, setting business aside here, Ross, what is something that you are just not very good at? So that it's uh, hard to think of something I'm not very good at. I'm trying to think of what would be what would be best. Yeah. I'm not a great listener, oddly enough. Ah, I think I have just one. such a short... Yeah, it's ironic. If you were to ask my girlfriend, she'd be like, not a great listener. But if you ask some of my customers, like, guy listens to everything we say. And <laughs> so I guess it's, it's situational, selective. Sure. Yeah, select, selective hearing. Yeah. 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 <laughs> As we finish up here, man, what is one place online where our listeners can go to connect with you the most? I would say Instagram, funny enough, on a personal okay. level. And then 
yeah, Instagram on a personal level, I tend to, I've slowed down on that front for, you know, for business reasons. I used to kind of post everything I was doing every day and now it's a little more selective, but I would say they're just at Ross Andrew. And then um, on the business side, obviously just the post front and what we're, what we're doing as a company. Cool. So if you want to, perfect. If you want to go check out some more things from Ross, head over to Instagram at Ross Andrew. If you're listening to this right now, Make sure to screenshot this episode, upload it to your Instagram story, tag at Ross Andrew and tag at Travis Chapel, two P's, two L's. Let us know that you're listening to the show and uh, we'll reach out over there. Say what's up over in the DMs where it all goes down. Ross, thanks so much for coming on the show today, my man. Really appreciate the time and had a blast chatting with you. Yeah, same to you. Thanks so much. Well, that's it for today's show. If you want more advanced networking strategies, as well as an instant network upgrade, then consider partnering with my BYN Inner Circle Mastermind. There are already dozens of high quality entrepreneurs in the group. There's dozens of video lessons on networking. There's monthly calls, there's accountability crews and more, all for the low investment of just 99 bucks a month. So head over to byninnercircle.com to jump in. That's byninnercircle.com. Thanks so much for joining us on today's show. We'll see you next time. Remember to leave every relationship better than you found it. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Save big on your Memorial Day barbecue, all in the Kroger app. Get three-pound rolls of juicy 80% lean ground beef for $3.49 a pound with a digital coupon. Then get select varieties of flavorful Powerade, Body Armor Super Drink, or Arizona Tea for 77 cents each, all with your card. Shop these deals at your local Kroger today. Or tap the screen now to download the Kroger app to save big today. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Prices and product availability subject to change. Restrictions apply. See site for details.